This message is brought to you by Trinity Community Church in Cary, North Carolina, where we love God, love others, and make disciples of Jesus. For more information, check out www.tritrinity.org. Thanks for listening. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now we read that and we think, well, yeah, I want to give each person an answer. Well, the point isn't that you give them an answer and then that's the end of the conversation. Your words always be gracious, seasoned with salt. What does salt do when you're eating? Makes you want to eat more, doesn't it? So if our words are gracious to other people and seasoned with salt, they will want to hear more about Jesus. Uh, I guess two summers ago, I thought, you know, COVID, during COVID and everything, I'm going to pick out a new hobby. I'm going to start pickling things. And so I was pickling all kinds of vegetables and, and uh, doing different kinds of brine and all this. One batch, I made like triple the amount of salt. You couldn't eat it. Had to throw it away. It says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, not let your speech be salty, seasoned with grace. I mean, I, I was driving behind someone and they had a bumper sticker on the back of their van Do you follow Jesus this close? Well, (laughs) I mean, I hope so, but, you know, I know you don't want me to hit your bumper. You know, that would go in the salty category, I think. I mean, I apologize to any of you who may have a bumper sticker like that, but it just didn't, it was just a disconnect to me. God uses all of us to sow seeds into other people's lives. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah 55, talks about God's word going forth and will not will achieve the purpose for which he sent it. Isaiah 55, verses 9 through 11. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth... Imagine a blizzard where the snow came down and then went right back up. That would be weird. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. One of the amazing things about uh, pastoring over a number of years, and I'm sure Ken can, can testify to this, is that you never know how God is going to use one sentence or one conversation that you have with a person that may have an impact in their life years later. And so all I'm saying is I'm just reminding us that God uses us to sow seeds, to plant seeds in people's lives. Now, the sower doesn't just go out in the field and say, you know, uh, Lord, uh, you know, 
tell me, tell me uh, the exact spot in the field that I need to go and I'll just spin around and sow the seed. No, the sower is intentional. He goes back and forth in the field and he spreads the seed out. He's intentional. He's not random. But, but there is a sense of intentionality, but also a sense of God, you work in mysterious ways. God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. So he uses all of us to sow seeds, but the word is the message of salvation. Amen? Secondly, who is Satan and what is his agenda? Well, Satan uh, is not that, that fellow that plays in the NHL, uh, though the back of his jersey says Shatan, I think, on it. Uh, Satan is the Hebrew word for adversary. Adversary, or the adversary. Uh, Satan is chief of the fallen angels in Second Peter Chapter 2, verse 4, it talks about the angels who fell from heaven. So you have Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So sometime before... Adam and Eve sinned, Satan and other rebellious angels fell from heaven. Uh, there's a reference in Revelation referring to a third of the stars falling from heaven, and so it's, it's uh, I think, essentially church tradition that the idea is that a third of the angels fell from heaven along with Satan. Jude chapter 6 has the same reference, Jude verse 6, excuse me. So sometime before Adam and Eve sinned, Lucifer or Satan and his Angels who rebelled also fell from heaven. The name Lucifer refers to, uh, means light bearer, light bearer. Uh, there's a reference in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, which refers to the day star fallen from heaven. And so that's where uh, we get the name Lucifer from. Uh, the, the, the reference in Isaiah chapter 11 is, re is referring to the the king, the rebellious king at that time that Isaiah is prophesying to, but uh, it, it's also uh, theologically, I think, is, uh, represents uh, Satan in his, um, the one who is, who is opposing God, but he is uh, apparently uh, beautiful and uh, prideful and all of these things uh, that are in rebellion uh, against God, but he appears uh, as uh, that name refers to light bearer. In John, uh, John Milton, in his uh, work, Paradise Lost, he describes Satan as saying this, it is better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And that gets at the idea of the pride, Satan representing ultimate evil, ultimate pride uh, against God. Uh, if you read the book of Job, you can see the interaction between God and Satan. So Satan is a real being, He's a demonic being who is chief of all of these fallen angels. What is his goal? His goal is to take away life by any means. So John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is the verse right before that? John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
And so I think the thief there is not only referring to thieves who would steal sheep, but Jesus is referring to the evil one. Satan's nature is that he is full of pride, that he is a liar and a deceiver, as we, as we read in John chapter 8, verse 44. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus speaking to the people who would not believe him, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What, was Satan's, what were the serpent's words to Eve in Genesis chapter 3? Did God really say? Satan loves to sow doubt into our minds to get us to doubt God's word. No, if you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God knew that human beings could not handle that knowledge of good and evil. And so he put the tree of life there so that we would not um, would know that we should not have that knowledge. Satan's nature is that he is full of pride, he is a liar and a deceiver. And notice in this passage, John chapter 8, that the unbelief of the people is tied to Satan. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then the next sentence he says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So part of Satan's agenda is to get is to blind people so that they cannot believe. John chapter 9, verse 39 says this. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. And of course, John chapter 9 is the story of Jesus healing the man born blind. And so part of the, part of the judgment that Jesus is declaring there is that here are the Pharisees who say, yes, we see, and they accuse Jesus at the end of that verse. Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You see the metaphor he's using for, for physical blindness and spiritual blindness. And so Satan's agenda is to try to keep people from believing. Satan blinds people to the truth of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what does that practically mean for us? The battle between Satan and God is not a Star Wars type of battle where there's the resistance and the imperial forces. God has already won, amen? Satan has been cast down forever. He has fallen from heaven. He will not win in the end. And so what does that practically mean for Satan to blind people to the truth of God? Here's a couple of things. Satan distracts people with busyness and the drive for success. Satan distracts people with busyness and the drive for success. In uh, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, he has a junior demon, 
writing to his senior demon and he's saying, how can I get this person named Christian to, how can I get him off track? And the senior demon says, get him thinking about himself in any way. All we want is him thinking about himself and how well off he is or, or what, what his possibilities are or what his prospects are. That's all you have to do. Satan distracts people with busyness and the drive for success. You know, our, my phone has a notification on it because we have one of the parental settings on there and it says, you know, this is how much time you use your phone this week. I don't know that Amazon would really want to send you a notification that says, this is how much you surfed Amazon this week. Because their whole thing is they want you to surf Amazon again and again and again, right? But if we saw how much time... I'm, well, there's probably an app out there that tracks that, but my point is that that's one of the ways that Satan distracts us. We looked at last week the cares of the world and the things of life. Uh, secondly, Satan tempts people with sinful pleasures and also uh, keeps them busy with worldly pleasures. Not every pleasure is a sinful pleasure. There are worldly pleasures that uh, can be enjoyed, but there are also sinful pleasures. So Satan tempts people. God does not tempt people. The book of James, James says God cannot be tempted by anyone, nor is he tempted by evil. God does not tempt people. Satan is the tempter. Uh, thirdly, Satan plucks away the seed of the word of God in a time of personal crisis by convincing someone that they were only having a weak moment. I see this all the time where people are more sensitive to the things of God when they're going through a trial and then they look back, their life is going a little bit better, and they look back on that and they say, oh, yeah, I was just emotionally weak. I was just, just needed, you know, a little pick-me-up kind of thing. I mean, Bart Ehrman, professor of religion at UNC, that's his whole explanation about why he is not a Christian, is that I was a weak, um, emotional teenager when someone shared the gospel with me. And, and that's the reason I originally believed. And now I'm smarter and wiser and I know better. And of course, he has thousands of pages of, you know, uh, publications to uh, justify that. But that's the emotional, that's the heart issue. Looking back, someone shared the gospel with you. You went forward uh, to, to profess faith in Christ. How do you process that? Was that really God working? Oh, no, I was just a weak 14, 15 year old. Fourthly, Satan uses the wisdom of the world to convince people of self-sufficiency. Satan uses the wisdom of the world to convince people of self-sufficiency. How are we going to solve the climate crisis if there are really UFOs out there that the Pentagon has now declassified these files and videos? I'm not smart enough to process that. But yet the wisdom of the world says, yes, we know all these things. But then there's these other people who say, no, we, we don't know all these things. I mean, it's kind of the, the, the disconnect of National Geographic saying, humans are wrecking the planet. But listen to us because we're the really smart humans are tell, who will tell you how to save the planet. Okay, somewhere in there, human wisdom has become the idol. 1 Corinthians expresses this. 
because you don't want to hear about what articles I read during the week. You want to hear the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, this is God's word, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believed. We are fools for Christ. Amen? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers or brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I have that desire in my heart that says, I want to be recognized by the world. I want to be recognized by my classmates that I graduated with from college. I want to be recognized by the alumni association of this or that school. I want to be uh, uh, someone who's recognized by these certain worldly associations. Where does that desire come from? I think partly it comes from a sinful desire to say, there's part of me that doesn't want to be known as a fool for Christ. But God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So my, my, my exhortation is this, be careful about the strength of things in the world that we gravitate to. Be careful about the people who present themselves as strong. Be careful about the groups that present themselves as having cultural power. Be careful about those things. Because Jesus says, unless you change and become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Satan highlights sin and scandal to discredit Christian testimony. That's one of his tricks. Satan uses ideas and philosophies which look very Christian to deceive. I mean, talking about deception, the, the new Mormon temple in Apex, the Raleigh Temple, opened a couple of years ago. You go in there, it looks very much like a church. And their promo video is all about family. 
and wouldn't you want to be with your family forever? Well, you can. If, if You can seal your marriage for eternity. They have a room up on the second, third floor to do that. And in the promo video, it was, Jesus said that we all have to be baptized to enter the kingdom of heaven. Really? There's some twisting that's going on. There's some, some twisting. There's some deception. Some ideas and philosophies which look very Christian which will deceive. The gentleman that we had come to the church, uh, this was probably four years ago, I guess now, but he, he came and spoke in Sunday school that week that the temple was opening. And, uh, and Mormons from all over the country came to view the opening of the temple because it was a public opening. Because if you have not advanced enough in your own Mormon church, you have to get a recommendation to go into the temple, into the local temple. So if you don't get that recommendation from the elders of your local church, then you can visit a temple that has a public open. And so we met people who were there who had driven from Kentucky to uh, come to the temple opening because it was a public opening. Because they hadn't earned their temple recommendation for their local temp temple from their Mormon church. Because you have to get a card that is your temple recommendation that says you can go in. So there's a lot of uh, things there that are deceptive. But sound very Christian. And I lost where I was going with that. Oh, the gentleman that came and spoke, he runs Mormon research ministry in Utah. He spoke in Sunday school. And by God's grace, uh, they have had some uh, Christians who had a Christian bookstore for years, who retired who granted them the space of that Christian bookstore. And now in Utah, I think it's in Draper, Utah, there is a um, Christian research center, which has books, resources, and they host talks and different things about comparing uh, Christianity to uh, Mormonism. So Satan uses things that look very Christian in order to deceive. Okay, how do we make sense of this? Third question. How do we make sense of this? Remember the tension. Remember the tension that the Bible presents both the absolute sovereignty of God and the omnipotent power of God as well as human responsibility. We are all responsible for our own choices. The book of Exodus says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It also says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it also says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. There's a mystery there that we will never fully understand, but God gives us real choices. Human choices are never presented as completely outside of God's control, they are present, but they are presented as real choices. Secondly, ready yourself for spiritual battle. Jesus is talking about spiritual battles and realities which are not formulaic or precise. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, we do not fight with the weapons of the world, but we fight with spiritual weapons. We have received the Spirit of God, but the natural person does not understand the Spirit of God. So 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, we do not wage war according to the flesh, but we wage war with spiritual weapons. Thirdly, repeat the authority of Jesus Christ, which has been given to his people. This is something we need to remind ourselves of. Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. Satan's goal is to make us nervous. Satan's goal is to make us fret. Satan's goal is to make us uh, uh, waste time by trying to find demons behind every bush. There's plenty of Christian literature out there that says, you know, we need to go research and find these demons in our cities and our communities and cast them out and all that. It's like Keith Green's song in, in the, what, 70s. Uh, Satan's trick is no one believes in me anymore, right? Or we believe in him too much. Repeat the authority of Jesus Christ, which has been given to his people. One of the fascinating things in the Gospels is if people are afflicted by demons and they are confronted by Jesus, the demons don't say, who's this guy? We never heard of him. No, they know exactly who Jesus is. They recognize immediately that they are subject to his authority and his power. What do you want with us, son of God? Recognize also our own limitations. We cannot see the entirety of God's work in a person's life. We can only see how a person responds in a particular period of time. Uh, one classmate I connected with on Facebook, uh, this was, I think, just before we moved to Florida, to, from Florida to North Carolina. She had become a Christian through watching the movie The Passion of the Christ. And she was converted on the spot. We never know how God is going to use something in someone's life. And yet there are many others who seem very devoted Christians who later on did not want anything to do with Jesus. So we have to remember that God is in control. We have to remember that God is in control of how people respond. The main point of the parable is that the proclamation of God's message of salvation will yield a certain yet unexpectedly abundant harvest in God's time. Acts chapter 13, where the gospel is preached to the Gentiles, it says, as many who were appointed to eternal life believed. And in Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas go to Philippi and they, they meet uh, Lady uh, Lydia, who was a dealer in purple cloth, and they go down by the river because they had heard that that was a place where people gathered for prayer. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to hear the message of Christ. The Lord opened her heart to believe. In Mark chapter 4, I'll just read again the, the section that follows the parable of the sower, where Jesus talks about the kingdom. This gives me hope whenever I grow something in my yard. This, this section, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. It means much more than that, but I just kind of chuckle when I read it. And I think of trying to plant things in my yard. And he said, the kingdom of God is as a man, if, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. He doesn't know how it grows. It does that on its own. But he's ready to harvest. Lord, please send forth workers into your harvest field. Lord, we pray now that you would make us aware of the spiritual realities 
of Satan and his attempts to sidetrack uh, God's purposes. But we know, Lord, that we fight not with weapons of the world, but with spiritual weapons. And the Holy Spirit, who is in us, is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, We pray that this message would be used to your glory and that your Holy Spirit would reassure our hearts and spur us to love and good works this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.